Shalom and welcome to Shalom Ariel and to this second sermon in the book of Leviticus with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon. Today we're going to be introduced to a very significant sacrifice offering, probably the one cloaked in the most mystery. Since we're not explained exactly which kind of sin this sacrifice atones for, but important it definitely was. For this sacrifice began the daily sacrifices first thing in the morning, and it was the last sacrifice of the day as well. And what made this sacrifice so unique is that it covered intentional sins. Some of us think that only unintentional sins are covered by the sacrifices. But in today's sermon, we're going to discover that there is definite coverage for the intentional sins as well sins which have knowingly been committed. But one thing we need to wrap our fingers around is that with sin, whether unintentional or intentional, there must be confession. There must be remorse, a repentance for the sins that are done. That was our first step in a renewed relationship with the Messiah. We needed to recognize the reality of our sin and have true remorse about it, confess it and accept Him, the ultimate burnt offering, as the one the ultimate burnt offering, as the one who would cover both our intentional and unintentional sins. How do we know that there is coverage for the sins? Let's see what 1 John 2.1 says. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah, the righteous. Such a hope and consolation. We have all sinned, both intentionally and unintentionally, and there is a covering for each one of us. Paul admits to this wretched state that we're in, doing the things that we just don't want to do. Knowing this, we walk into today's message, seeking the hope, the knowledge, and the consolation that Messiah Yeshua could bring to each one of us. Be blessed as you listen into today's message with Messianic leader Jacques Isaac Gabizon, and Shalom Shalom. And shalom, shalom, and one more time, welcome to Betariel and to our study of the great book of Leviticus, which brings us to see so many facets of our gracious God. You know, it's always been one thing to read the Bible, which is a great thing, by the way, but it is another to study it, to meditate on it, to concentrate on it, on every inspired word of God, and come to the point, actually, where David says in Psalm 119, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your Torah. This is the word he used, Torah, where the book of Leviticus is included. He knew of many marvelous things found in the law, but today we are more fortunate than David. While he must have seen God moving through the words of Leviticus, we have now a fuller revelation along with many fulfilled prophecy and with the Brit Adasha, that is the New Testament. There the words of Yeshua, of Jesus, will guide us further into this book so that it should leave us even more amazed and impressed by the Torah. Now, before we start, let's consider how just lately the Church of England announced that it will formally apologize for adopting anti-Semitic laws which led directly to the expulsion of Jews in the year 1290, that is 800 years ago. The Church is planning what it calls an act of repentance. 
You know, this reminds us once again of the difficult history the Jews endured through the centuries. What happened in 1290 is one of so many expulsions. These evictions of Jews as a people began way back in 721 BC, when the people of the northern tribe were expelled from the land. From there was the Roman expulsion in Judah, that is in 70 AD. And then even as they dispersed through the different countries, they were again often expelled from different cities and countries. Before the New Testament was completed, twice the Jews were expelled from Rome. With the Aquila and Priscilla, if you remember, which we meet in Acts 18 and who became friends with Paul, they were among the Jews from the second expulsions from Rome. Then we hear of another Jewish deportation from Cyprus and Alexandria in the year 119 AD. Alexandria had one of the greatest concentration of Jews in the world. You know, it is hard to count all the expulsions which followed after. You can see in the chart some of these dates. In the 12th to the 14th century, Jews were expelled from different cities of France. In 1360, they were expelled from Hungary. 1392, from Bern, Switzerland. In 1492, a well-known date, they entered the Spanish Inquisition, and many Jews then fled to Muslim countries where they were better treated. However, even there, they were expelled from different cities. After 1492, there were very few places the Jews could live in Europe and in peace. But this history should be of interest to the Christians as well. They are part of the prophecies, in fact, of the book of Leviticus. Prophecies which prophesies actually this persecution and expulsions of Israel among the nations. We see these warnings in section of penalties of disobedience, especially in chapter 26, where 3,500 years ago, the Lord himself said, I will scatter you among the nations of the world. And speaking to them, he says, I will also bring weakness into their hearts, in the, in the lands of their enemies. And the sound of a driven leaf will chase them. And even when no one is pursuing, they will flee as though from the sword. And they will fall. This, this is harsh, isn't it? While they suffered and will again suffer according to Bible prophecies, this does not make Israel more of a sinner than any other nations, right? Let us consider that the New Testament, the New Testament says, Israel's history is given to us as an example so that we may actually grow into the Word and move away from sin. As for the Church of England's upcoming apology, we need to see clearly through it. While many in this denomination are surely very sincere, that is, and one of my good friends happens to be a pastor in one of those churches. However, their theology, at the core of their theology, the church is anti-Israel. If indeed they were sincere in their apology, they would change their theological position, which it holds to a post-millionist view. This brings them to believe that they are already in the millennium, in the messianic age, and that all of Israel's blessings and promises are not transferred to the church, that is, to them. This implies that Israel has no right to her land and to the yet unfulfilled promises made to her. For them, Israel's coming back as a nation in 1948 was just an accident of history, not a flow of prophecy. 
This is what we may call, by the way, the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome, if you remember. You know, this king told Daniel that the God of the Bible was the greatest of them all, that he was the most powerful, but he never went down to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple or to worship God. There was no change in his life. All these words were vapor in the air, forming, like James says, clouds with no rain. We know what the prophecies are saying for later on, that all the nations of the world will go against Israel, and then the Messianic age will begin. Now let us now go back and first say the blessings on the children, that is the blessing on our children before we get into this amazing book of Leviticus. If you have your children with you, Get them close to you. Put your hand upon them. This is actually a very precious gift that the Lord has given us. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Le'olam Va'ed. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is coming and is forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we are here today with open hands and open hearts, lifting our children up to you so that you guide them, strengthen them and protect them, help them to come to you for guidance, provision, and protection. May nothing separate them from you. Teach them, O oh Lord, how to choose only your ways. So each step will lead, us, will lead them closer to you. Help them to keep their hearts pure and undivided. As we pray under the name of the one sitting at your right hand, Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and Amen. Let us now open our Bible to the book of Leviticus, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 to 3. This is what it says. Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man, man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. If this offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now we have covered most of these two verses, the first two verses, and saw how graciously it begins with a mention, if you remember, of God's proper name, yud heh right at the beginning, the name we today pronounce as Jehovah, even though the right pronunciation was lost in time. But this name recalls God's covenantal love and promises to men. It is this same name, this one particular name that is used when sacrifices are described in the book of Leviticus as if the Lord was there with open arms to accept our repentance. One would have perhaps expected the use of the name Elohim, which is one of power, but rather the threshold of the book, we find our caring shepherd. We also saw through whom the Lord spoke, through a mediator, Moses. This also sets precedence and prepares the reader to meet the Messiah. Furthermore, the many sacrifices we're going to be in the many sacrifices we begin to look in today, these are themselves mediatorial. That is, they also typify the believer's commitment of his life to the Lord. So all these offerings, of course, first point to the Messiah, who is not only priest, but also the sacrifice himself. But they also speak of our obligations, of our duties, as we're going to see. As for the man Moses himself, he is sure great 
example for us to follow. He is depicted as one who is so close to God and who is always ready to answer the callings of God. Now, this is important. Notice the flow of his calling and of his obedience. First, God calls, Yikra. Then Moses answered by coming close to him. Once Moses made the move, then God, Debar, spoke to Moses. This is when God sends Moses to speak, Debar again, to Israel and say, that is Amar, that is to explain, to expound the word of God. It is the route God takes between himself and his people in the same way. He would today between himself and the believer as the believer is called to go and proclaim the words of God. So he first calls and when we answer, he sends us. What we may take for granted here is Moses' response. He could have followed the path of the majority and not answer at all. God chooses to work through men and women. He calls constantly to each one of us for he has Divine tasks, designed, I believe, for each and every believer. In Moses, we recognize the paramount importance of both the will and the acceptance of one's calling. Jesus said, if you remember, Matthew twenty-two fourteen, for many are called, but few are chosen. While believers are few, they're all called, all of them, but few answer. And yet, actually, the Lord is there always ready to impart his blessings. And furthermore, speaking of approaching God, we remember this new word found in verse 2, korban, the offering from the word kara, meaning come near, come close. For this is what Leviticus is about, how everyone can come so close to God and not just come close, but be a friend of God, as the rest of the chapter will show us. Now, besides this, there's yet something else in the first words we have not yet seen, which further shows the importance of the message of this book for the way they are written. They are seen only, by the way, the words we're going to see are seen only in two places. That is the way it opens. God called Moses, Vekra El Moshe are found in only two places in the Hebrew Scriptures, in Exodus 24:16 and here in Leviticus 1. In Exodus, we read that when the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, this is when Moses entered the cloud and was there for 40 days and 40 nights and received all the instructions of the law and the plan of the tabernacle. But what is the relation between these two instances? They mark two important points in the development of our relationship with God. The tabernacle was the place where God was to dwell with men. Once the tabernacle was finished according to God's instructions, then Leviticus, in Leviticus, God called Moses a second time to teach him and Israel and ourselves as well how to approach him. This book, then, is a manual of sanctification. It is a handbook on how to come close to God. Let us now go further into the text and see what else we can find and, and really understand. It is right, actually, there's something new, right in verse 3. We encounter the first and most important type of sacrifice, that is the burnt offering. What is the burnt offering? 
Why is it first? Why is it so important in the scriptures? You know, that there's a cloud of mystery surrounding this sacrifice. For to begin with, we are not told for which sin it atones. Yet, it is this one that which is repeated twice, if you remember, daily in the temple. Two lambs, one at the first in the morning, that is at 9 a.m., and the second in the evening, that is at 3 p.m. And on the Shabbat, these sacrifices were doubled. And furthermore, it is the only sacrifice which demands that the whole animal, except the skin, as we will see later, was fully burnt on the altar. No part was eaten by any man. Already we can perceive where this sacrifice leads us to. But before this, what does the name burnt offering teaches us? This one word is one word in the Hebrew. It's a short word. It is Allah. From the root Rala, meaning to go up, meaning to ascend. This sacrifice was deemed the most important in rabbinical writings for all the smoke goes upward, Rala, to God the Most High, that is El Relion. Both words, upward and Relion are of the same root, so it is an offering fully dedicated to God with no human interventions. How then to understand its importance? This is not the first time, by the way, that we read of the burnt offering in the scriptures. It has a historical trail where followed, we can better appreciate its meaning and how the burnt offering is the sacrifice which actually typifies the best, the Messiah himself. It was mentioned twice before, and on very important occasions. The first time we read of this word was with Noah. After the waters of the flood subsided, as soon as Noah got out of the ark, he offered Erola, a burnt offering. It is written in Genesis 8.20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord Jehovah and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The knowledge and importance of this sacrifice was already understood at the time. Noah inaugurated the new era after the flood with a burnt offering. It was the first sacrifice. However, we're not told why he chose this burnt offering and what he knew about it. It is the next time we encounter this word that sheds even more light to it where it is mentioned, actually, you know where? In the Akedah. That is, in the attempted sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22, where this word ruah is actually repeated six times in the chapter. It's given the central spot over there. What was the story about the Akedah? It was not about Isaac's sacrifice, for it never happened. It was about the sacrifice of the Messiah, who would be the fulfillment of this burnt offering. When Isaac asked his father Abraham about the lamb, saying, Abba, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where's the lamb? Abraham somehow understood. And by faith and inspiration, he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. When the time came for the sacrifice, a ram was provided. But where was the lamb? 2,000 years later, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, was crucified on the same mountain, Mount Moriah. It was the burnt offering completed. 
This is what is behind this important sacrifice which opens up the book of Leviticus. From Genesis with Noah, the Israelites kept the memory of that lamb. Then at the temple, where a lamb again, the burnt offering was sacrificed twice a day. Do you remember the hours? 9 a.m., 3 p.m.? But that reminds you, Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. and died at 3 p.m., thus fulfilling again that sacrifice. And the prophets prepared us to meet the Messiah, the Lamb. Twice he is called the Lamb who died for the sins of the people, once in Jeremiah, once in Isaiah. And in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, we remember that Jesus is called the Lamb 29 times, that is. He is the one fulfilling this holy sacrifice. And so this sacrifice then was a type of the full dedication of the Messiah on the Tav. He who came from above and had no, had, that is all the power to stop all the insults, the persecution, even the death, did not. So that he would offer himself for our sins. But the burnt offering is a very special kind of sacrifice which furthers, opens up our understanding of the workings of sins in our lives. We asked a question earlier, which sin does the burnt offering cover? For the other sacrifice, we're given an answer. The sin and guilt offering were for some ethical or moral faults. They were reparations, sacrifices. The peace offerings were thanksgiving sacrifices. But what about the burnt offering? You know, bear with me for a couple of minutes, for this is important. This dilemma has brought some ancient rabbis who asked the same question, what does the burnt offering covers? In a midrash, one concluded the burnt offering only comes to effect atonement for sinful thoughts of the heart. Meaning, I don't know. This brought Nachmanides, a medieval rabbi, to say that the burnt offerings, and I quote, is a sin that no one recognizes except God. He also noticed that for this offering, it is not specified whether it was for sin committed unwillingly. And so he and others suggest that the burnt offering were there to cover willful sins. Now this is major. For th Here we learn that the mosaic sacrificial system may provide sacrifice for willful sin. And it does actually. In the law, sin could be divided into two classes. The intentional sin, that is willful sins, and the unwillful sins. That helps us, actually, to deal with our sins ourselves. The unwillful sins are completely covered by the sacrifices, and in this dispensation, they are wiped out once the believer meets and accepts the Yeshua as their personal Savior. This is when God says, I'm not going to remember anymore your sins. Then there are the willful sins. Sins people do willingly. In the law, these are usually not forgivable, like murder, like adultery. However, the law deals with lesser willful sin and forgives them. And this is so good to know, for otherwise no one will find forgiveness in God. One example of one willful sin that is forgiven is in Leviticus 5. In the case of a witness who sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify 
when he is a witness, whether he has seen, and I'm reading, and, or otherwise known. If he doesn't tell it, then he will bear his guilt. That person saw, that person heard about the case. And he became a witness, but decided not to say anything. That is a willful sin. But later in chapter, verse 6, he's told to give a sacrifice for his sin. So lesser, lesser willful sin can be forgiven. This is why there is a Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when a burnt offering is offered. This festival which covers all sin and willful sin and smaller willful sins. So to answer a question, what sin does the burnt offering covers? It does a larger range of sin and goes as far as bringing us, perhaps even covering the inherited sin nature. This is why in verse 2, by the way, when we read the words, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, the word any man in Hebrew is Adam. Adam. And the rabbis ask, why is it not Ish? Ish, which means an individual, as it would usually be for the sacrifice, sacrifices in general. But Adam, it is true that the word Ish mentioned some, is mentioned 94 times in Leviticus and speaks of men and women in the context of offering. But if the word Adam is used here, for the burnt offering, it shows us the universality or the long range of this offering covering the sins, all sins. Now, that the burnt offering covers even more willful sins is a great comfort. Otherwise, we will be like the one that Paul quotes, if you remember, in Romans 7, when he says, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body, this body of death? For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. He understands that some people willfully sin. And here Paul is comparing the two natures battling in us, the old and the new. How the old is always trying to overtake the new, but in vain. For he answers in verse 25, the next verse. Thanks be to God through Yeshua Mashiach, our Lord, who actually died even for these particular sins for the believers. For Yeshua came as the final and last burnt offering to save us from our sins. That is the meaning behind the powerful burnt offering. Today we can confidently come to the throne of God, for the Spirit says in 1 John 2, 1, My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, Yeshua Mashiach, the righteous. If anyone sins, all sins are forgiven for the believer. But hold on a minute. This, of course, does not give us a license to sin. God forbids, like Paul would say in his argument. But it helps us to see that the victory is ours at every turn. Shalom Ariel is a daily radio program emphasizing the Jewish perspective of Scripture. God is not through dealing with Israel, nor will he renege any of the promises he has made to her. Our teacher for this program, Jacques Isaac Gabizon, is a Messianic Jewish believer and Messianic leader at Beth Ariel Congregation right here in Montreal. If you've been encouraged by the messages, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at one 685 5902 or you may write us at info at Beth Ariel, B-E-T-H, 
A-R-I-E-L, all one word, dot C-A. You are also welcome to join us for our Saturday morning services. We are located at 6297 Monkland Boulevard, corner of Madison in NDG. The message is given in English, but we do offer simultaneous translation into French and Russian. Services begin at 11 a.m. We have Shabbat school for children of all ages, up to and including teens. You may also download audio messages from our website at bethariel.ca and enjoy other in-depth teaching from Jacques Isaac. If you would like to sign up for informative newsletters, log on to our website and add your name to our email list. Shalom Ariel is a listener-supported program. If you have it on your heart to donate, it will be a great blessing for the continuing ministry and outreach of Beth Ariel. Thank you and Shalom Shalom.